Good morning. I just want to share that with you because uh, Garrett and I spent almost two hours putting that display together in our front yard, and I wanted to make sure that you got a. I wanted to make sure that you got a chance to see it. Um, no, surprisingly, that is not our house. Um, but I wanted to show it because we've all seen that kind of stuff now, right? That that the last five years or so, the technology for Christmas decorations has gone berserk. It used to be when I was a kid, this was the deal. You had one of those aluminum silver trees and a little four-colored light that shined up on it and a record player that played music. That was our deal. It was multimedia, and it was over the top. Um, so it's changed, right? And, and that's not even, uh, like, cost prohibitive. It's, it's not even that expensive. The, the technology has gotten so cheap that tons and tons of people are doing this. So I'm telling you this because you're probably not going to sleep much this year. Your neighbors are going to do this. <laughs> and, and there are multiple places all around Southern California you can go do this. There's a, there's a um, cul-de-sac that Christy and I like to go to at Christmas time up in Glendora, up near the hills. And the whole cul-de-sac is all doing this thing together, all the houses there. And you pull in, and they have that kind of deal going, and you turn your car radio to a certain station and listen to it in your car as you watch all the houses together do this. It's astonishing. The lights are just, you know, breathtaking. It's so beautiful. And it's amazing what they can do with Christmas lights these days. My wife loves to decorate for Christmas. Um, if, you, if you've not been to our house at Christmas time, you're not invited, but come and look in the window. We'll take a picture or something, but... But <laughs> my wife's like, don't invite the whole church, everybody at once. But, but the whole thing is she just gets into the whole spirit of the season and she just can't wait for Thanksgiving to be done so she could start. Because I told her, no more of this setting up for Christmas on 4th of July. I'm done with that. <laughs> Thanksgiving, right? So um, there's all that stuff going on. At this time of year, you get to see movies that you only see in December, right? And you've seen them 40 times, and you're going to watch them again this year. TV shows, cartoons. Some of you are 50 years old. You're going to watch cartoons this Christmas, right? Um, and and there, are, there are foods that you have not eaten since last December that you're going to be eating this year and looking forward to. There are family gatherings. There are Christmas parties for your church, uh, for your work, for your neighborhood, for all of that kind of stuff. Um, and for the kids, it's Christmas vacation, winter break for the kids. <laughs> and um, there's shopping, there's wrapping, there's standing in line at the post office, all these things that you look forward to at Christmas, right? It gets really intense. And there's so much cool stuff at Christmas time that it can actually be kind of stressful. Have you ever have you ever felt stressed at Christmas time? Anybody? Yeah, just a little bit, right? You see, I know it's just the first week of December, but the stress is going to start setting in if it hasn't already. And here's the thing. Have you ever gone out to like the desert or the mountains and gone out at night and looked up? You just see billions of what? Stars. And it always blows my mind. I'm, I'm no astronomer, but it blows my mind because you could just go 40 minutes out into the local mountains 
and there's a trillion zillion stars, and yet we only live 40 minutes from there, and there are no stars where we live. Isn't that weird? Why, why do you suppose that is? You could see stars out there, and you can't see them here. Yeah, there's too much light here. There's too much light. Even at night, you can't get away from it. There's lights everywhere. Um, we had a power outage in our, in our whole city a few months back, and it was the darkest I've seen it in I don't know how long. It was eerie. We went outside and looked around, and there were no lights for blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks, and I looked up, and guess what? There are stars. There are actually stars where we live. Who knew? But the light diffuses it. And because there's so much light all around us, we don't see the, the brightest lights that are shining from the sky. We can miss that. And I think it's really so easy to get distracted by all the lights at Christmas that we run the risk of missing the light of Christmas. It's so easy to get enamored with the lights of the world that we lose sight of the light of the world. And see, along with every other Christian preacher, during the Christmas season, my job is to somehow wrestle your attention away from all this other stuff that is going on and get you to stop and, and forget about, for a minute, presents and elves and reindeer and eggnog and all that stuff and look at the light of the world. That's my task. And it's tough because you have heard it all before. You have sung joy to the world a million times. You have heard the Christmas story over and over and over again. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if you're not a church person, you know the story. You've heard it. A virgin finds herself pregnant. She rides into Bethlehem on a donkey because they have to pay their taxes. There is no room for them in the inn. She has to give birth in the ugly stable and lay the baby in a manger. Charlie Brown gets an ugly Christmas tree. The Grinch returns all the presents in the inn. And there are angels and there are shepherds and there are wise men and something about a star and blah, 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 blah. You've heard the story, right? A million times. It's like that episode of I Love Lucy where she works at the candy factory. Have you seen that one? Right? Right? So a few of you have seen it, I guess, huh? So if you're flipping stations today and you come across the Lucy Candy Factory story and the conveyor belt is going and you're watching her do her thing, you're going to stop and watch it, right? You've seen it a hundred times though. It's still funny, but, but there's no surprises. There's no tension. There's, there's no, I wonder what's going to happen, right? And the same thing has happened to us with the Christmas story. We, we get this amazing beginning of the story, a virgin that is with child, and she has to go in this terrible journey into this little town, and there's nowhere for them to stay. And there she is riding on this donkey, and she's nine months pregnant, and nobody is thinking, I, is she going to make it? I wonder if they're going to be okay. I wonder what's going to happen. Nobody's thinking that. We know what happens. Turn the page. No room at the end. Turn the page. There's a stable. There's a manger. There's some shepherds. We know, blah, blah, blah. And here's the challenge. Somehow, in the midst of all that, we're supposed to give our attention to God. And I feel like I have such an uphill battle every Christmas because, because there's Christmas and there's Easter. I, I got to basically limit my subject matter at Easter to one story. If I don't preach on the resurrection at Easter, it's going to be kind of a bummer, right? 
but at least it's only one week. Every Christmas, I got to churn out four or five Christmas sermons, and they all have to be something you haven't heard before, and they have to have a new twist, and they have to be interesting and fascinating, and I'm just trying to keep you awake because you've heard the story. So here's my deal. I'm going to do everything I can to just keep your attention and show you amazing stuff. So watch the screen. That's pretty cool, right? The word amazing come to mind? But you know it's a trick, right? Like, you get that? You, none of you are sitting here like, oh, it's witchcrafted church, right? You get that? You know it's a, it's a trick. I don't know how he does it, but he does it somehow. It's an illusion. And, but here's the thing. Some of you, that will be the one thing you remember about today's sermon. Some of you will be pulling out your, your phone right now and posting that to Facebook while you look like you're taking notes on the sermon. That's what some of you are going to be doing, I know. 
And between the lights video you saw at the beginning and uh, the walking uh, elephant video, that you've pretty much got all you need. You see, that's what I'm competing with. And, and here's the thing. That's a trick. But the story I have to share with you is real. I mean, he, he got a stuffed animal to walk around. But the God of the universe became a man. He didn't pretend to be a man. He didn't disguise himself like a man. He didn't fake us into thinking he was a man. The infinite, holy, perfect, almighty God of the universe took his infinity and poured it into some sort of spiritual funnel down into the tiniest little finite fertilized egg in the womb of a peasant girl. And before he was a man, he was a teenager. Before he was a teenager, he was a child. And before he was a child, he was a toddler. Before he was a toddler, he was an infant. Before he was an infant, he was a baby. Before he was a baby, he was an embryo. Before he was an embryo, he was a zygote. Do you get it? The infinite God of the universe became one of us. And that really happened. At Christmas, the infinite became finite so that he could borrow death and use it on our behalf. You want to talk about amazing? You want to talk about incredible? Have you lost track of how awesome that is? Think about some of the most amazing miracles in the Bible. Just, just think. All the way back, Old Testament to New Testament, just, just come up with one or two. Think of the most amazing, incredible acts of greatness and, and miraculous power that God showed us in the Bible. Shout them out. What are some of the great things, miracles in the Bible? The raising of Lazarus. What do we have over here? The parting of the Red Sea. Jesus walked on water. What else? Come on. You've read this book, right? <laughs> Leave it to Cole. Okay, good. Thanks. <laughs> so this has nothing to do with my sermon, but since you mentioned that, I just love that. that that's a, you guys, this is a little preach story, right? It's, it's in uh, 2 Kings, that, and there's this guy, Elisha, and he's a prophet, and a mark of the prophets are, are that they have their heads shaved. And so um, these kids come out, and they start teasing him, and they, they start calling him a bald head. And so he calls down bears from the woods and the bears eat the kids. And on behalf of bald people everywhere, I want to say amen. <laughs> okay, so, so, so there's bears eating kids. There's people raised from the dead. The Red Sea is parted. The Jordan River stands up in a heap. I mean, over and over and over again, God does incredible, amazing things, and we could sit and talk all day about which one is the most amazing, but let me just end the argument. The incarnation wins. When God becomes man, when the infinite becomes finite, there has never been anything that has happened that is more astonishing, more impossible to understand than that. There's nothing that has ever happened that is bigger than that. Chris Angel is an illusionist. He, he tricks us, and his tricks seem supernatural. 
But everything about the Christmas story is supernatural. It's about God coming to become one of us. So let's step out from the lights that are all around us in the city and let's get out into the wilderness a little bit and where we can get the lights out of the way and we can look up and see the light of the world. That's what I'm going for this Christmas. That's what this whole Christmas uh, sermon series is about, Christmas lights. So let's start in the book of Matthew. It's a great place to start. Matthew chapter 1, New Testament, first page in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 18, and somehow I'm going to try to keep your attention with a story you've heard a million times. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you haven't already heard this, betrothal is kind of an, a unique situation in that time and in that culture when a man and a woman were to be married, and, and today we would say when two teenagers are going to get married, um, we think that Joseph was probably 16 or 17. We think that Mary was probably 13 or 14. That would have been typical for the time and the day. And their, their parents would come together and they would reach an agreement. Oftentimes, the, the young people hadn't even met one another. And their parents would agree and they would be betrothed to one another. There would be some sort of an exchange and a dowry that would take place. There would be promises made. There would be a ceremony that took place. And now they are betrothed to one another, but they are not yet married. They, they don't go off and live together because the, the young man needs time to now uh, build a house or do whatever he has to do to pre prepare to take care of a family. And so they have this betrothal period before the actual wedding. So they don't live together. The, the woman continues to live in her father's household. And the young man gets ready to, to bring her in as his wife. And during that time, they are betrothed to one another. It's not like being engaged. It's like being married, except you're not living together. And, and he is 100% responsible for her in this culture. And, and the only way for them to break it, up, break it off and not get married is to go through a divorce. So it's serious. And, and they're just about to get married. They've, they've been planning and preparing. The invitations are out. She's been to all the David's bridals and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff has happened. And all of a sudden the weirdest thing happens. She was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, I read that, and you go, uh-huh. Yeah, I know. Virgin, you know, virgin gives birth. I, yeah, I know. heard this story before. Do you realize how amazing this is? And do you realize how tough it was to swallow you realize how challenging it must have been for Mary to find herself in this situation? It doesn't matter how much you explain, ain't nobody buying your story, right? Nobody. Least of all, Joseph. Joseph's in a very, very difficult situation. Look at verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly, legally, as her husband, even though they're just betrothed, he's her husband. And as her husband, he has the right to have her stoned to death on the spot. Because obviously, she has been unfaithful to him. I don't want to get into the details and explain this, but you've probably been to sixth grade health class. And you know that a virgin doesn't get pregnant. 
And so Joseph has the right to press charges against her and put her to death. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be merciful. He wants to be kind. And so he's working on a plan. How can I send her away quietly somewhere? We'll send her off to see an ant and she just won't come back. That sort of thing. He's trying to figure out what to do. And then it gets really, really interesting as another supernatural event takes place. Look at verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. An angel of the Lord appeared to him. I know you heard it before. It's the same boring story. I get it. An angel appeared to him, an angel, an actual angel. You say, no, 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 he dreamed about an angel. It says it was in a dream. It doesn't say he dreamed about an angel. It says an angel appeared to him in a dream. There's a difference. You and I dream about all kinds of weird stuff, right? You don't want to know what I dream about, and I do not want to know what you dream about, right? It's weird. Too much pizza, you may have dreamed about being visited by any kind of alien in the middle of the night, right? So, so you go, well, that's explainable. This that is a dream. But the Bible is very clear. He doesn't say that he dreamed up the angel. It says, an angel appeared to him, and he used the dream as his access to communicate a message to him. And so the angel came to him, and this is a huge deal. And I don't know what you think of when you think of angels, but most of us have some sort of picture of a cute little baby with wings in our head, right? But here's the deal. Almost every time an angel manifests itself to a human being as in, in its angelic form, almost every time the first three words are, do not fear or do not be afraid, right? Why? Why are angels always telling people not to be afraid? Because they're scary. They're stinking impressive. They're awe-inspiring. They're among the most impressive, incredible beings God has ever created. They're not like us. And, and they, they make people quake in their boots. This is a real angel. This is a huge, supernatural, terrifying moment. But the angel is not there to punish Joseph. He's there to explain Go back again, verse 20. When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. His name will be called Jesus, the angel says. Jesus. I know you're used to it. You know it's. It's probably the most common name in the Western Hemisphere for males, Jesus. Almost all of us know somebody named Jesus. It probably goes by Jesus, right? But, but it's probably the most common name for males. And, and what's the most common name for females in the Latin American world? Maria, right? Why? Because 
people are so blown away by these two characters, Mary and Jesus, that they want their children to emulate them. This name, Jesus, we're used to it. We hear it, we see it, we think nothing of it. But it has a meaning. It means he saves. His name is salvation. His name. At a party, hey, I want you to meet my buddy, salvation. Really, that's a, that's a conversation starter. His name means salvation. And it goes on, it tells us about this prophecy in which it says, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. He's called many things. Salvation, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. He's trying to tell us that it's not just this prophet that's being sent. It's not just a good teacher. It's not just uh, someone sent from God or even an angel. God himself with us to save us. That's Jesus. That's Christmas. And he fulfills this prophecy that's given in verses 22 and 23, a virgin shall be with child and on and on. And, and he doesn't just fulfill that prophecy, but he fulfills hundreds of prophecies throughout the Old Testament, written over thousands of years, all converging in the same spot, in the same place, in the city of David on that day when this baby is laid in a manger. Salvation. God with us. The fulfillment of the prophecies. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. After Sin came into the picture and man fell and there were curses delivered. There was a curse on the man. There was a curse on the woman. There was a curse on the family and there was a curse on the serpent. And after all of the curses had been given, a prophecy was made. The offspring of the woman shall crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. It's an incredible picture. Not the offspring of the serpent, the serpent himself. And then we see Noah's situation, the whole world is wicked and there's going to come judgment, but there's this ark, this boat, and inside the boat, the selected ones, the chosen ones, even though they too are sinful, are chosen to be saved, and the boat becomes this picture of salvation in the midst of all of this judgment. And we see it again with David as he writes the Psalms, and again and again in the Psalms, he prophesies about the one who will be in his line, who will be the Messiah for God's people. And the Passover, there is a perfect spotless lamb that is slaughtered and his blood is put over the house doorpost and over the heading of the door so that those who are under the blood shall be delivered from judgment, the blood of the spotless, perfect lamb. And there's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, every year where they go, and there's the slaughtering of an animal, and then there's a goat, and he's called the scapegoat, and all of the sins of the people are symbolically placed on the goat, and the goat carries them away into the wilderness, never to be seen or heard from again. And it goes on and on and on. All of these prophetic pictures and verbal prophecies of Jesus, and now it's happening. It's a humongous deal. People have been waiting for this since the Garden of Eden. And now it's happening, and Joseph and Mary are right in the center of it. God is becoming man. This is incredible. And it was amazing when God even talked to men, like, like Moses or, or Noah. But now he's become one of us. He didn't become like us. 
He became one of us. God became man. Or more specifically, the infinite, almighty God became a helpless, crying baby who was utterly dependent upon his parents for every one of his needs to be met. It's shocking. It's astonishing. It's amazing. And we yawn through it. Because there's lights flashing and music playing and there's eggnog and Santa Claus and in the mall traffic and don't miss the light of the world amongst the lights of the world. Now, let me expand a little bit. Go to the book of Luke. Two books to the right from Matthew. Go to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick it up here in verse 8. And I'm going to read to you again. Try to stay awake. You've heard it before. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, before you become too comfortable with this whole supernatural thing, think about this picture. These are shepherds. Yeah. In, in their culture, they are the lowliest of the lowly. They are the bottom of the rung. They don't participate in the religious life of the Jewish culture because they're ceremonially unclean all the time. They, they're separated from their family. They don't have homes. They live out in the wilderness all of the time. And the only people they're with are sheep and each other. That's it. And, and they are looked down upon by everybody in their culture. And out of all of the people that this angel could have come to. You can imagine he gets the note in his inbox from God saying, hey, I need you to go make this announcement. Go to, go to this area and make this announcement. And he goes and finds shepherds. Weren't there any kings? Weren't there any governors? Weren't there any wealthy people? Weren't there any influential people? Weren't there any good-looking people? Weren't there any impressive people? He went to the shepherds. And it's interesting because to the shepherds, the angel gives this picture and he gives this announcement and he says, listen, I have good news and it is for all the world. To the least of these, he gives a message. God is sending a savior to all the world, to all of us, whether, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're male or female, whatever your race, whatever your gender, whatever your tongue, whatever your tribe, wherever you live, whatever time you're born in and whenever you die, you are among the, all the people that this message is to. The Savior's for you. For you. God becomes man for you. And again, why did he do it? So he could die. So he could pay the price for your sin and mine. 
And, and we saw this. We just finished a study of Ephesians. If you, if you weren't here for that, we just finished up a study of Ephesians. And at the end of Ephesians in chapter 6, there's this whole section on spiritual warfare. And we talked about some of what's going on in the angelic realm. It's all around us. This is not some faraway, um, you know, other world or other dimension that you have to get to. This is actually all around us. There are angels, right? But we don't see them because we haven't been given that power. But just imagine this. Just today, you're out mowing your lawn, and all of a sudden, God pulls back the curtain and shows you an angel. You're going to fall flat on your face. Just one angel. You'd be amazed. You would be astonished. You would be frightened. So the angel gives them his message. And then it gets super cool. Look again. At verse 13, and suddenly, all of a sudden, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. That, by the way, is the song that we sang this morning, Gloria in excelsis Deo, the Latin, glory in the highest to God. It's the same song. It has been sung for 2,000 years by people everywhere in every language. Glory to God in the highest. Why? Because he sent his son, because he became one of us on that incredible day. And that baby laid in a manger is the light of the world. And what are these angels doing? They're doing what angels do, praising and glorifying God. That's what they're doing. And that's what's going on all the time around us, and we can't see it because we're so impressed with the twinkling lights and the interesting music and Christmas dinner. But this moment blew the shepherds' minds. These angels, these amazing supernatural creatures are praising a little baby lying helplessly in a manger, waving his hands. They're praising him. And once the shepherds got the message, they did the exact same thing. They dropped everything they were doing. They let go of everything that was distracting them. They left their sheep in the pasture, and they took off for Bethlehem. And they found the stable. And in the stable, they found the feeding trough. And in the feeding trough, they found the light of the world. And they fell on their faces and worshipped him. And the Magi did the same thing, and they traveled for weeks to do it. I know you've heard this story before. And I have three more Christmas messages to preach this year. So you're going to hear it again. And I'm going to try to get a different angle on it next time. So you'll sit still and listen. But all those messages are coming from this same story. The story that is so familiar that if you're not careful, you'll miss it. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, humbled himself and became one of us. A shivering baby in Bethlehem's stable. Because he loves you that He did it to make a way for you so you could sing today, I'm no longer a slave 
to fear. I'm a child of God. Mm. It's the same old boring story you've heard before, and it's the same story I'm going to try to tell in a different way next Sunday and the Sunday after that and again on Christmas Eve. And you can easily miss it if you got your eyes focused on the wrong lights. That's all I'm saying. So here's the challenge. As we go charging into the Christmas season, I don't know about you, but I looked at my wife on December 1st and said, it is December. When did that happen? Right? (laughs) Flying by. And yet... We got these next few weeks leading up to the day. And you're going to celebrate the way you celebrate. And I want you to get with your family. And I want you to eat your favorite meal. And I want you to give gifts. And I want you to sing songs and enjoy the whole deal. I want you to light every light and enjoy the symbolism of those lights. Don't get me wrong. But if every light is lit and the light of the world is left outside you have made a huge error. And so I'm going to ask you this Christmas season to focus. Look past all the twinkling lights in the world and focus your heart on the light of the world. Because there, in a stable, in a manger, In the city of David, there has been born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Unto you he has been born. Let's stand and pray.